Welcome to the Good Shepherd and the Child podcast, where we explore the spirituality of the Christian child through the method of the Catechesis of the Good Shepherd. I am your host, Carrie Mecki Lozano. Today, I have Patricia Coulter back on the podcast to discuss the article, Learning to Love by Father Mangilo, that is from the 2009 journal. In our show notes, you will find a link so that you can download and print and read this article. It's an easy article to read. It is a beautiful article to read, especially during this time of Lent. I strongly encourage you to pray through the beauty that is in this article. So Patricia Coulter joins me again on the podcast. She met Sophia Cavaletti in 1975, and their friendship and close collaboration lasted until Sophia's death in 2011. And Patricia collaborated with Sophia in formation courses and translated many of Sophia's writings and also co-authored with her various different books. I hope you enjoy. Patricia, welcome back to the Good Shepherd and the Child podcast. Carrie, I can't tell you how happy I am to be with you. I was so surprised when you invited me to share on this piece of uh, Father Mangilo. And it's been such a joy to spend a few days in his company, uh, sitting with his words. And uh, it's such a joy to be together with you and learning from him. Thank you. Well, the article that you have gifted us with from the 2009 journal of his words, I have to thank you. I love this article so very much for many, many reasons. And so when I was reading through all of the different articles that Mangilo has gifted us throughout all the journals in order to pick a few to do for this series during Lent, and I found that this one that you particularly gave us from him, um, I was really excited for the opportunity to get to invite you and talk to you again, because I just love talking to you and sitting at your feet, Patricia, and, and especially because you knew him personally. So I think that that's really extra awesome. Uh, by the way, I'm sitting at your feet, Carrie. <laughs> well, would you first, before we dive into the article, can you tell us a little bit about Father Mangilo and what you remember about him? I'm sure we all have in our life people that came into them that just were such a manifestation of the light of God. And he is one of the brightest. And uh, I met him actually in the first week I arrived in Rome and was, like so many, very blessed to hear him speak at the different international gatherings because he was mm -hmm. part of that circle of friendship, a very warm, big-hearted, loving part of it. And also, we kept up our communication, and by divine design, his schedule, he was a man always in demand. He went everywhere to everyone and often got called back to Canada, principally to teach at the Dominican College in Ottawa, Ontario. They have mm -hmm. a French section as well as English. So he would come and do an intense period of lectures 
equivalent to a semester. And then often he would be asked by people in Toronto, especially Italian pastoral workers and priests because he was Italian, and he had an international reputation. And he would fly out of Toronto back to Rome. So we, I would go wherever he was staying or talking or whatever. And he always loved to walk as much as he could before he got on that plane. And, <laughs> um, and many times came to our family home. So that carried on. And I think the last time we spoke was two years before he died. But the communication was always close. He had a special gift of tenderness, of closeness. The more that I learn about him, the more that I feel like he definitely was one of those shepherds that really smelled like the sheep. And perfect. I love that about him. I, I, I think that's one of the things that I've feel drawn to him about is is he definitely was a man of the people. And as I'm reading his articles, especially this one that we're going to talk about today, it's hard to tell the line between him and Sophia sometimes. Like I feel like I'm not sure if Sophia influenced him here or he influenced Sophia here. Yes. You know, you're you're picking up a harmony of vision, of mission. And the theme was what he had given at St. Paul's, which was unloving oneself. Mm-hmm. And when he was speaking about it, he then went where he was being led. And knowing our love for the catechesis, he picked up, because the heart of what he's saying is, what's our image of God? Because that's fundamental to loving ourselves. So he used as an example the Good Shepherd, because it was close to our hearts. And then he kind of allowed us, you know, when, when we read it, he talks about the dynamism of love. And so that's what that's about. Um, can I tell you a story? I hadn't planned to do this, but apropos of how deeply united Sophia and Father Manjula were on, on the level of um, what can I say? I guess the image of God. So he was a professor of moral theology at the St. Thomas Aquinas University. And he had a number of classes. He was open-hearted. He would let anyone come. So I started as soon as I went to Rome, didn't understand anything. But the, the thing about him, he reminded me of, you know, when you get close to a fire, you can feel the warmth. Mm-hmm. He generated such an ardor and devotion that he was communicating it, even though I didn't get most of the words. But later on, I did. So this might have been the second year. And I was in the class, I can't remember what it was, but it was filled with, uh, I believe, seminarians mainly. And this day it was about the Eucharist. And I had a feeling he departed from what he usually did. And he kind of went around the room asking each their thoughts on this one point, which I can't remember. But it was, I do know it was like right to the heart. Sophia said about Mangilo, he had such a capacity to go to the essential. 
Mm. And we know how Sophia valued the essence, right? Going to the essential. Well, he was going to the essential and trying to call them forth. But um, it was so unusual for him. He, He just asked everyone. And then the class was over. He made no comment at all. And then afterwards, he didn't have a class after, so we spoke for a moment. He was frustrated. His sense was they weren't to be colloquial. They weren't getting it. Mm. So he said, I need Sophia to come and do the Eucharistic presence of the Good Shepherd in the parable. He said, if she does the parable and then the Eucharistic presence, I'll know that they will have the essential. He asked her, she came. To this college course. Exactly. To do a level one presentation. Theology. I love it. And I believe graduate. I love that. That's a great story. Thank you for telling us that. That's really beautiful. And I think that, yeah, that's a great example of how their work was very in line with each other. And you can see that in the article, too, because like what you were saying of that, he gave this this article, correct me if I'm wrong, came from a talk that he gave, you said, to St. Paul University and that you were taking notes and then it took a turn into this article. Is that correct? Right. Sometimes I went to Ottawa. Other times mm-hmm. I couldn't. But he would come and give a recap of what he'd done. And yes, so the context was, it was during one of our walks, and we would sit down at a picnic table. I would always have a notepad. And he would give me the gist, and I would write madly. (laughs) And then he would say, well, okay, now let's make it real. Let's talk about the Good Shepherd. Mm. You see what I mean? So I don't know if he spoke to the theology students in Ottawa about the Good Shepherd, but he made the application to me. Mm-hmm. Okay? I understand. Okay, I have to tell you something because I believe we're going to, that this will be kind of aired in Lent. And next Wednesday is Ash Wednesday. And I found a, a line of Sophia, in a letter of Sophia, about um, what Father Mangillo, how he defined Lent. Here's what she wrote. We are in Lent. Do you know how Padre Mangillo has defined Lent? Question mark. Here's his definition. Lent is the time in which the joy of loving is rejuvenated. Hmm. What does the word rejuvenate mean to you? Mm, To come back alive? Mm. To be refreshed? Mm. Well, that's what Lent's for in his thinking. And so if it's about enlivening, reviving the joy of being loved and loving, then this reflection really fits, doesn't it? (laughs) I think so. It's about a a time in which for us to realign ourselves back within the love of the Good Shepherd. So I feel like this article is perfect aid to that, learning to love. And also his mode of communication. He had a great gift for communication. Even in quotes, the scholastic setting wasn't the ivory tower sort of discourse. He always exuded a sense of meditation, that these were things that occupied him, that he sat with. 
would you allow me? Well, I'm just going to give you some dates. And then I found this piece. I have to thank Patrizia Cocchini and Francesca Cocchini, who after he died in 2005, sent me a couple pieces, and one was by him. But anyway, in terms of who he was, born in 1928 into a very simple family, and named Anthony Mary. He was ordained at the age of 24 on the Feast of the Assumption. And what's beautiful, imagine being ordained at 24, because he wasn't being part of the Dominican order. It's a very long process of formation. So to use Montessori's planes of development, mm-hmm. the years between 18 and 24 were spent absolutely immersed in a life of prayer, community, learning. Then at 26, he started teaching theology, and uh, the Angelicum, Thomas Aquinas, it's called Angelicum because it's after St. Thomas, who was called the Angelic Doctor, as in Doctor of the Soul. Mm. His 50th anniversary of ordination was in 2002. Now, that's the bare outline, but I want to read three excerpts from something he wrote. And on the top of the page, it has Night of 1 September 1998, 70 years. And the scene was, he describes, he's on an airplane, very long 10-hour flight. It's nighttime. And he's fortunately got a free seat on either side of him. So he must have taken up his pen and started writing. So here's what he says. Turning 70. A moment of peace to remember, to be grateful, to beg forgiveness. I will retrace the steps in my work from 1954. So he was 26. This is two years after being ordained. From 1954, I've studied, taught, spoke about moral theology, always with a single intention, to clarify in itself and to clarify for myself the importance and wisdom of a conscious orientation to living in Christ. Reformulating the question, searching the response that conforms with the gospel in the tradition of the church, in line with the thought of St. Thomas Aquinas. So this is the person we're listening to in this article. Mm. Now, he goes on to say about his younger days that someone, I won't name who it was, I think a confrere, perhaps in the Dominican order, one day in the CZ he told me, quotes, read life, not books about life. Mm. <laughs> and that was his gift. He read life. So uh, now here's two things that'll be interesting because his writing style, Sophia said, she found him a better communicator in the spoken 
medium than the written. So he's describing what happens before he gives a seminar or a conference. He said, how many persons who see me before a conference, very restless in facing a theme, incapable of giving orderly written handouts on it, hmm. and were concerned that I didn't even know what I was about to say. <laughs> he says, well, it could be that that was what was happening. But it never happened that I spoke or said things to indulge in what was in vogue at the time, in what might seem successful, in what would be conformism. I never betrayed the truth that came from and was prompted by my conscience. Mm. So the big thing about the Dominicans, their charism is about truth. And for him, we know from the gospel, John, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Truth was the person. So here's the last excerpt. And I find this quite amazing because the founder of the Dominicans, St. Dominic, it was founded 800 years ago. And like the Franciscan, they were the first orders that weren't monastic or enclosed in a cloister. They were called mendicants, which literally meant they went begging. They went out. They all had the, you know, the charism of poverty. So they begged to sustain themselves. But they also went out, as it were, I'm going back to your wonderful image about the smell of the sheep. They went to the streets, they went to the people, and in a way, very pilgrim. But the word mendicant, he now brings up, and he says this. He said, I was never swayed by any of that, what's in vogue, what's successful, you know, conforming. He said, thinking, speaking, writing are and remain expressions of my being a mendicant. I don't even know if this is a word. I've, I've translated it as expressions of my mendicancy, being a mendicant or a beggar. And listen to this. I have always been a beggar in search of truth mm. from everyone in every circumstance. And then he can see him smiling when he writes this. Many persons who know me laugh because of the fact I always continue to take notes, be it a word, a thought, as though I am like someone thirsty and drinking a drop of water. Hmm. And that's what he would do. Hence that, you know, with Sophia, he would never, he would pull out this little notepad and his pen constantly as if to say, Words didn't fall to the ground unheeded in his presence. Mm -hmm. And let me give you another image, if you don't mind. In a, mm -hmm. a book, um, which was, I believe, the last he wrote, it's in Italian. And I'll, I'll give you the title because this was written, I believe, two years before his death. And it is like a profession of faith. The title is Through the Spirit in Christ to the Father. 
colon, subtitle, Meditations on the Communion with the Divine Persons. He didn't say not the communion of the divine persons, but with. So what does that say to you? Right. I'm hearing, you know, listening to God with children, preaching with children. Like I hear so much of the sitting alongside Hmm. the with. Hmm. And it's the communion of the Trinity with us and us with the Trinity. Mm -hmm. We're in communion. He's impossible to translate, but he refers to the parable in Matthew of the bridesmaids. And it's the meditation is beautiful. The point that really touches me, and I'm doing this from memory and loosely translated. I think at the heart of this reflection of learning to love is about gift. And he said about the oil in the lamps, those five that had all their oil there, and the five who forgot their oil. He said, oil isn't something you can get from the merchant. We know that. I find this astounding. And he said, the point isn't how much oil we have, so much as how vigilant we are about tending the oil, cherishing it, Mm. guarding it. And I think that's his sense about interiority or being meditative is all about cherishing and valuing and being vigilant about this incredible gift of communion we've been given. Mm-hmm. Okay, mm-hmm. can I ask you, because wonderfully, in the show notes, you are putting this reflection of his learning to love. So it's there for everyone to read? Yes. This is wonderful. Yes. Okay. So, knowing that they have it in hand, as it were, yes. could you speak to how you love it? Can you mm-hmm. just share some of the... I've, I went through, I'll tell you what happened. I got so happy about spending time in his company and knowing I'd be spending time in your company. I had <laughs> all these little thoughts and notes, but I finally stopped and said no. So I put them into seven simple one-liners that I think is at the heart of this reflection. But I didn't take quotes from it, Carrie. Like I sat with it, I stood back and said, okay, these seven things. So I think it'd be beautiful if you you want to pick out, you know how sometimes a line, a phrase, a word will really touch us? Yeah. Yes, I have a few of those. Oh, I have. please. It's definitely underlined and starred <laughs> in many places. One thing, Manjilo is really good at, like, just really great lines that should just be isolated and thought through. One of them is at the very beginning of the article. It's like in paragraph three. Okay. He said, the image that God has of me is that I be myself. If God made me, it's me that God wants me to be. God gives himself to me. I am God's. Therefore, to love myself is to love as God loves himself. God loves himself. I am in him and he is in me. It is one reality. I cannot love God if I am not me. I I feel like writing that 
on a card and giving it to my teenage daughters. Oh, <laughs> oh that's beautiful. That If God made me, it's me that God wants me to be. Like not some other alternative version of myself. Like God mm -hmm. needs me to be who I am. So in order to do that, I have to be very aware of who I am. I have to let myself be me because that's who God created me to be. And that's who God loves. That's so simple, but also so awesomely beautiful. I agree. It makes me think of two things. Of the part reflection of his that I put into the infinite mercy of God. Mm -hmm. And it's like this, a meditation on awakening to the love with which we are already loved and wants mm -hmm. us to know who that is. And, mm -hmm. and therefore, when you said your daughters, do you know what I thought of? Mm. You know, when we know the dignity of being loved that way by God, what that does for our true sense of who we are, our identity. Yeah. Yeah, it almost gives you permission to be who you are when you're loved for that. I love that, what you just said from your book, The Infinite Mercy of God, an awakening to the love that is already there. We also desperately want to be loved. That's, you know, one of the core things that all humanity is seeking to be loved and seen. And it's already there. It's just becoming aware of it. Hmm. And it reminds me of Sophia at one point when she said, "What what's the point of the the parables, especially for the younger, the good shepherd, or for the older ones, the true vine. And it was this phrase, there is someone who knows you, hmm. like knowing in the sense of utter love. And I guess Father Mangelos would be, if they were sitting together, Sophia would say, there is someone who knows you, and he would say, and there is that someone loves you. Mm. Okay, look at what others have you underlined and what start. <laughs> I'm really interested. I've got I got it in front of me, so take us to another. Um, okay, so in the next section when he's talking about Jesus the Good Shepherd. Yes, I see it. Mm -hmm. In the very first paragraph, he says, We need to help children to cultivate the joy of life by becoming aware of the life that they are immersed in, in the beauty of nature, themselves, and others. I feel like you were just talking about this. Like it's just becoming aware of the love, the gift that is already surrounding us. So it's an, almost like an opening your eyes to what already exists, the, the abundance of gifts that we are surrounded with that scream the love that he has for us. So we, it's our job to help children see that, cultivate the joy of that. Or maybe also allow them to help us because they seem to see it a lot easier than we can, especially the youngest child. That's a beautiful point. The other, the word that really strikes me in what you shared was beauty. I think you know, we know, we often hear the attributes of God as beauty, goodness, and truth, and also mm -hmm. union. But I think that beauty really um, fleshes out something about what our dignity is 
and identity. Because remember, we taught the last time about the Good Shepherd? In the Greek, good also means beautiful. He is the beautiful shepherd. Mm. But we are beautiful for God. The beauty he sees. Uh, there is a line in Isaiah, I will give you people mourning for whatever it is that's sorrowing us. I will give you beauty for ashes. Please go on. I feel like there's a lot that I could just read straight from what he said. In the next section, in the dynamism of love, he talks about the difference between knowing and loving, which you were just saying about Sophia and and Father Mangilo, and he, let's see, this is the second paragraph in that section. He says, okay. when we say I know someone, it does not mean that we love that person. We know lots of people and lots of people know us, but this does not give me anything. Love is a movement that brings me forth and carries me forward. This is what Jesus means when he says, I know my sheep. This is a lover's knowing. No one knows better than a lover. That's very radical in the sense of going to the roots. And he wasn't shy. He was bold. Yeah, and very essential in his boldness. Like he just says it. I love it. <laughs> and lived it. I think one of the things everybody who knew him, which is why he was asked to go to Asia, Africa, Latin America, North America, was his authenticity and also that word coherence. What he said and how he lived were one. Mm -hmm. And he had a, a tremendous holy boldness. Holy boldness. I like that. I, I, I would like for someone to be able to say that about me when I die. Oh. <laughs> she had a holy boldness. Yes. <laughs> well, it's it seems a contradiction because he was the most delicate and discreet. And I read an article in Italian where a, a confrere describes him after his death as being, the two adjectives were sweetness and gentleness. Mm -hmm. And yet a man of daring. Please go on. Okay, so I'm, I'm just, there's many, many I could do, but I'm going to just lift up one more. Okay, thank you. Um, so this is in the last section. Bible, lit Bible liturgy and love. Okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. This is the third paragraph, right? One, two, yeah, the third paragraph in that. Okay. In that section, it starts, liturgy is an exchange. It is what God is doing for and with us and what we are doing for and with God. Love asks for co-presence. It is not that I do something and you do something. Instead, it is both persons doing the same thing. Take a simple example. When two persons are holding hands, both are doing the same action. It is not two persons doing two different things, but two persons doing one thing together. This is true for the liturgy. One gives oneself in accepting the gift of the other. I give myself in accepting the gift of you. In this mutuality of giving, each receives the other. A sacrament is not just something we receive. God wants to unite himself to me. God wants me to give myself to him. Again, um, he and Sophia are like twins. We know the axiom of Sophia. What is proclaimed in scripture 
is lived in liturgy. And what he's doing is all that he's saying about what Jesus tells us about himself, about us, and that profound unity amongst us. We live that in liturgy. And what a very simple example, two ha hands holding. I mean, how often we see that from parent to child to, I walk the beach and I see these older couples hand in hand walking along. It's a very simple, but it speaks volumes, mm -hmm. doesn't it? Yeah, that was a beautiful example. Patricia, tell me about the seven points that you lifted up when you read this article. Okay. I have to thank you because I never would have put together Lent with this meditation of Father Mangilo. And so I feel that I've had a few days to get ready with those words and that wonderful quote of his. What a beautiful preparation for having the joy of loving and being loved mm -hmm. rejuvenated. So I just, I'll just, they all start with P because by the time I got down, I realized, good heavens, but anyway. <laughs> so the first thing, and now I'm talking about us as adults, okay? Okay. So the first thing, and it's just picking up what you have read. First thing, it's, it's about a person. God is alive, living, active is in relationship with us. He originates it, initiates it. It has a special name, the name the Bible gives it. It's the covenant. Powerful word. Two, primary. What he's saying, and again, Sophia, she said that he caused a Copernican revolution in her and that in way of holy joy, in the only thing that would be called near autobiography, she names him as her master teacher, not just teacher, her master teacher in moral theology. And so Christianity is unique in this. It is not about us and what we have to do or must do to be saved. You know, the norms, the duties, the regulations, that's secondary. And in fact, Sophia talks about her first meeting with him that started the Copernican revolution. She was driving him back, I guess, to the, to the convent. As he was getting out, he said, what have we done to Christianity? How have we made it a mountain of norms and rules and regulations? when he said, really, it's about enjoying the presence of God in our life. Mm -hmm. Talk about bold. Right. So that's secondary. Primary, it's about what God is giving to us. And that's exactly what you just said. And Sophia, she said he could speak so simply that what he said could be easily applied and translated to children. So her two famous examples in her books are his the Christmas tree as opposed to the true vine and the chandelier. Do you remember those yes. images? Yes, I love that. One. So he's basically saying it's not the glitter and glitz of a Christmas tree. It's the deep, ever-flowing sap of the true vine. Mm -hmm. Okay, third one, patrimony. And what he's saying, especially in the last part, 
we all have free access to the precious living, flowing waters, the sources of relationship, Bible and liturgy. Four, priority. All of this builds on the primacy of gift, and all that you read to us is touching that. So at every developmental stage, God holds the first place in the covenant. And so they would both say, Sophia and Father Mangilo, keep your gaze on God and being with, and all the doing will flow from that. Right. I mean, he even says in in the article, the moment of being is the first moment in loving and doing is the last moment. So first focus on being in love, being with the person. And then from that, there's a response. And isn't that what we talk about completely with the children is first, there's a gift. The first, the gift of the relationship, the gift of being one of his sheep, and then we are later called to respond after first the moment of enjoying the gift. Yes, and in fact, you know, Sophia said, well, some people might think the young child's just passive, does nothing. She said, to enjoy is a supremely active right. and actual response. It is a, is a prayer to sit in enjoyment. Enjoyment as an expression of worship. That was an article that my first spiritual mentor wrote. Exactly. And the other thing is, how blessed are we who are given the gift to witnesses and children. But this is at every developmental stage. Yeah. It doesn't stop. Right. It always begins with the being. Whereas we're, we live in a to-do culture, right? Right. Our value comes from our productivity, our efficiency. It's almost a badge of honor to say, oh, I'm so busy. Right. Okay. Are we at five? Practical. On the practical level, what is my response in the relationship? And for me, you've just said it. The first practical step in responding is to receive. And so what what does that mean? I think he's inviting us, number six, to a, a practice, a daily practice, kind of the way we, we would keep our oil well stocked. And that's to focus, first of all, on God and God's gift to us. Because after all, what does a gift call forth? That's where the source of joy is. The last one, I think, is this practice involves a process. You've brought up so often and so rightly about the children. And it's about a living relationship with someone who's alive, active, and it unfolds and it grows, and it's a lifelong process. And he would say at the basis is What's the motor? It's the dynamism of God's love for us. And that's why in the last part of this reflection, learning to love, he picked up the Good Shepherd as if to say, let's put this into practice. Let's meditate together. Let's look at what the process would look like if we really got into this. Mm -hmm. Those are my seven points. Mm, they do a good job of summing up a lot of the beauty that is conveyed in this article. Um, well, since it is Lent, and which is a time of prayer, 
How about we finish our conversation today with sharing one of the prayers from Father Mangilo? Wonderful. And I love that you call them prayers because they are actually, they look like poems, but they are prayers. When people hear it, we talked about he's bold. And you, you mentioned his words about how we're drawn forth to be a lover. And the poem that you're going to read, thank you, or rather pray for us and with us, if you listen to it, because I went back to them, and by the way, thanks to Joe Tunnell for his help in translating it. Joe is a catechist, uh, Italian-born, very uh, great sensitivities, and Father Mangilo is mostly beyond me. <laughs> what can I say? Um, but when you listen to it, if if we had printed it out and put it, let's imagine we had a podcast where we said, everybody, here's, here are two prayers of his. We're going to pray one together. And they had looked at it. I wonder when people read it, they'd think, what was this? Was this in the kind of exuberance of his novitiate days? Oh, no, maybe it was the ardor around his ordination. He had to write this canticle of praise to the Trinity. Well, actually, maybe it was, I don't know, midlife. He was in the full vigor of all his giftedness and sharing it and being a pilgrim and a beggar for everyone. Do you know when he wrote these? When? He was 75, Mm. two years before he died. Mm. Now that... When you said you would like someone to say that about them, imagine if at 75 could write one burst, a love, a love poem to God. And that's what I think this is. So I'll say goodbye. I'll say thank you. I'll say a rejuvenated Lent. May it be for all of us. And now with you, I'll listen in silence as you share his prayer. Trinity Love. Trinity Most Sweet, Abba, Father, Son, Jesus, Spirit, Love, Trinity All Love, Source of our identity and our peace, Source of our happiness, we adore you, we praise you, we bless you, we thank you, we love you, Abba, Father, give us your Spirit. Give us the spirit of your Son, the spirit who knows the depths of your mystery, the spirit who knows the depths of our mystery. Give us the spirit in whom you have entrusted the Son to us, the spirit who took Jesus by the hand and made him Son for us, so that he takes us by the hand and accompanies us on our pilgrim way toward your dwelling, where we will contemplate you with uncovered face. And you will see Jesus in us, the beloved, and we will lose ourselves in your gaze of love as an infinite sea, as the sun and in the sun, all in one with you, with the beloved, with the lover, in the same ecstasy of love forever. Amen. 
Thank you all for listening to this week's episode of the Good Shepherd and the Child podcast. In our show notes, you can find some different links to some articles by Father Mangilo, including Learning to Love from the 2009 journal and an article that Sophia wrote about Father Mangilo called Christianity to Enjoy a Person. I also put some links to some past episodes that we've had Patricia on the podcast before. If you want to hear more of her story of her time living in Italy with Sophia and Shana, or her talk about some of chapters from some of the books that we have been gifted by Patricia, there are podcast episodes that you can listen to that are just full of lots of gems. So check out our show notes to be able to listen to those. We also have the third edition of The Religious Potential of the Child available now on Audible. More information can be found in our show notes. This podcast is sponsored by the United States Association of the Catechesis of the Good Shepherd. We would like to thank all our contributing members because you are making this podcast possible. If you would like to know more about the Catechesis of the Good Shepherd, or if you would like to become a member, please go to cgsusa.org. Thank you all for listening. We will see you in two weeks. Go and fall more deeply in love with God.